Thank you, worship team. For all those who are here this morning fanning, would you please aim forward a little bit? (laughs) Just want to let you know we have a third service. Let's move on. (laughs) By the way, did you know that uh, next Saturday we will be celebrating the weddings of two couples that are very near and dear to this church? Uh, Ian and Megan, would you stand up for just a second? I have to just—I have to do this. And uh, also, in representing your son and soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Cindy, at least stand up. Carrie won't do it. There he goes. <laughs> Let's be praying for them as uh, this week is a very, very important week. And uh, usually filled with a lot of uh, stress. So let's pray for them. Lord, thank you, Father, for this covenant of marriage. Thank you for the blessings, Lord. Those of us who have been privileged to taste deeply of marriage, Lord, it is wonderful. It is a blessing, and it requires hard work. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that their wedding day would go well. Lord, that uh, you would cause things to work to your glory, that people would know that you are present. And, Lord, that you yourself are in favor of these weddings. And, Lord, I pray that you would be with these couples and, uh, Lord, give them just an unusual ability to communicate and to love one another and to be tender with each other in understanding and to be like Christ to one another. We pray for their blessings. And, Lord, we ask that you would bless us with your word this morning. Lord, as we hear about more of the Lord's prayer and your teaching, your son's teaching on this, Lord, we pray that our eyes would be opened that our eyes would be directed, Lord, to see your greatness, and in Jesus' name, amen. One of the books that I have loved to read to my children, now it's Andrew's turn, my almost three-year-old, is titled, My Dad the Magnificent. Have you ever read that book? (laughs) I'm trying to convince him any way possible that he has a good dad, but the story is about this little boy who gets caught up in a bragging match with his friend Alex about whose father really is the greatest. And if you've read the book, then you know that in the end, the truth about his father is far greater than all the tall tales that he actually made up. The sermon title this morning is called The Power of Optical Zoom. You're going to understand why I titled it that way at the end of this sermon. But I want to bring to your mind... What I've been trying to drive in throughout this series, which we have departed from for a few weeks, we're returning to it this morning, is that if we're going to become a people of prayer, then we've got to understand why Jesus chose the words he chose in teaching both his disciples and us how to pray. See, Jesus gives a far better version of that book's title. By beginning his teaching on prayer with our Father in heaven. You see, God really is our magnificent dad. Now you might wonder why we are looking so specifically at each of these words. I mean, this is my fifth sermon and we're three words, four words in. Let me tell you why we're doing that and look at Matthew chapter 6 verse 7. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, I want you to take that simple statement that Jesus gives 
And now teleport yourself forward into verses 9 through the rest of that prayer, and you'll know that Jesus is living by His own word, by His own disciples. Not one word, not one phrase is empty of significant and robust meaning. Every word's important. And if you could go back a few weeks, and if you can remember that the word are, if you remember, it brings us immediately into the, the biblical fellowship that we have. Our. There is no I, there is no me, there is no my in this prayer. That's significant. Immediately, it brings us to the end of our individualism. It propels us into the power of redemptive community. We're together, friends, like it or not. We're a family. And then we saw that the word Father makes our hearts soar with the intimate, personal love of our God. You remember what we said? Our Heavenly Father loves us. He desires a close relationship with us. He made that happen through this wonderful thing called adoption. And now we're as sons and daughters, those of us who are in Christ, and God has made us co-heirs with His Son, Jesus all of that is wrapped up, all that and more, significantly in this word, Father. But the word heaven, friends, just be honest, it's usually a throwaway word in the Lord's Prayer. We don't think a whole lot about it. We think of the word Father, but heaven doesn't get a lot of uh, notice. In fact, in all my commentaries, a lot of teaching on Father, even more teaching on hallowed or holy, holy be His name, but on the teaching on the word heaven, very, very little in most commentaries. But it's packed with significance. The fact that Jesus then tells us that this, this God is our Father in heaven is the supreme way of lifting up His Dad who is magnificent. You see, Jesus knows, friends, listen, low thoughts of God, low thoughts of God produce low desires to pray. But the reverse is true as well. And so we see Jesus making much of the heights of the Father as He resides in heaven. You know what J.I. Packer, the author of Praying the Lord's Prayer, says? He says, the mark of great prayers in the Bible or elsewhere is that they express a great awareness of a great God. Amen? Friends, I took a poll the first week we started this series. And I asked you to raise your hand if you knew that your prayer life was struggling, and almost every hand in the sanctuary, every service, rose. So I think I'm pretty safe in assuming that we're not yet a people of prayer, but yet we need to become a people of prayer. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning that we need to learn to do every Sunday or every time we read the Scriptures on our own. We need to immediately begin applying. So I'm going to ask you to bolt these three truths firmly into your mind. Let God bring it to your heart so that you can be transformed and understand that, number one, Praying to our Father in heaven turns our eyes upward. I want you to bolt that in. I'm going to explain it. Here's the three. Turns your eyes upward, turns your eyes inward, and turns your eyes forward. The first one. Praying to our Father in heaven turns our eyes upward. Father in heaven brings into balance two truths, friends, that seem to be contradictory. God is our Father. He desires intimate, personal relationships with us. I told you He loves us. He's chosen to adopt us. He's made us co-heirs with His Son. But Father 
in heaven reminds us that God is also transcendent. He's farther. He's further above us. He's greater than us. He's over us. He's mighty. He's eternal. He's infinite. Now, that just makes sense, right? Our Father in heaven brings together these two truths that I'm unpacking for you. His power and His greatness are always, they're ever above ours. He's our King. In fact, He is the King of everything. Friends, there is no higher authority than God. There's no God, there's no power that exists over our Father in heaven. You see, this phrase, in heaven, that we normally gloss over, it refers biblically to the center of all there is and the seat of all authority, power, greatness, and dominion. So when you hear Jesus saying, or when you read Jesus saying, our Father in heaven, know that he's saying in heaven deliberately to bring God to his transcendent, rightful place on his seat of authority. It's a phrase that firmly inarguably places God over all of his creation. Now, why is that significant? Well, it answers the often thought question, is there anybody up there? Jesus says we have a Father in heaven. It answers the question, is there anybody up there who cares? Well, we have a God who's in heaven who's our Father. You see, our, if you remember, speaks of community. Father speaks of family. Heaven speaks of authority. Remember that word, our? It shows that I pray with others. And that word, Father, shows that the one I pray to, He cares for me. And the word, Heaven, shows that the one I pray to has the power to help. Now listen, please. If we are going to become a people of prayer... We've got to be able to ingrain these truths in our mind and pray and pray and study and pray until God moves those truths from our mind where they're just empty knowledge until they move down into the heart, the seat of all things, Proverbs 4, and transform our lives. So what's it mean that you have a father in heaven Well, to pray to our Father in heaven is to at once realize we pray to the highest authority that there is, that our prayers will never reach more caring ears or be responded to by a more powerful being, this powerful, omnipotent, kingly God is also the one who is our Father, who has loved us with an everlasting love. You see, Jesus is moving our eyes upward to the greatness, to the glory of his Father. But if we strip out Father from heaven or heaven from father, then what results is either a weak fatherly figure or a loveless dictator. That just makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus brings them together to form one clear picture of our all-powerful sovereign God who has accepted us as his children and loves us as his father, as our father. Friends, when we pray, if you are in Christ, And you pray, you pray as part of the family of God thoroughly from within biblical fellowship. Again, it's why we say our. But when you pray, you pray to a father who cherishes you as his treasure, the Bible says, who guards you as the apple of his eye, the Bible says, and who wants to call, wants you to call him dearest father. And when we pray, we pray to the highest authority, we pray to a sovereign being, 
who holds all power in his righteous right hand as he reigns from heaven. Friends, what confidence. What confidence of all people in this world of all religions. What confidence because we serve a God who is great and who loves us as our father. So as you pray, lift your eyes up to the heights of God's greatness and glory. But that's just number one. I want you to bolt that into your mind because I'm praying that God will get that to your heart and transform you with such a confidence in God's throne that you can never had never had before. Number two, praying to our Father in heaven turns our eyes inward. Now, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you because the Bible has told me about you and you're just like me. We all have pride lacing, coursing, throbbing through our hearts. My brother-in-law came up from North Carolina this last weekend with his uh, wife, who's my sister, my wife's twin sister. And through just the most innocent of things, he and I got in an argument. And about 12 hours later, we started talking to each other again. We were talking, but it was one of those awkward, you know how it is, those awkward relational, relational times. And we both came back together and we said, you know, isn't it amazing at what pride, how, how much pride just inhabits our hearts? Friends, we all have pride. Praying to our Father in heaven is the pride killer. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's a very self-limiting truth. The phrase, our Father in heaven, it preserves that creator-creature distinction. We're not the creator. He's in heaven. We're on earth. He's the eternal one. We're his creatures. We're made by him. We're dependent on him. What humility that brings as we begin to pray to God, as we begin to bend the knee in that morning before we go to work. And we recall that he is great. He is in heaven. We're down here. Even the very act of sleeping is truth of our dependence. Our bodies cannot even recuperate without the sleep that the Bible says God brings. How tightly we ought to be clinging to His love as the children of our Father in heaven. God is great. He deserves the glory. To pray with these two truths, that He's our Father, and that He's great, that He's good, and that He is powerful, it moves us, listen, it moves us to voluntarily step off the throne. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, Isaiah says, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Friends, God is after our contrition. God is after our humility. Prayer is the vehicle to accomplish it. How can anyone stand proudly with a stiff, unbent neck when coming before God who is in heaven. Our Father in heaven is our God who is all-knowing. Guess what that means, friends? It means that you and I, we live in glass houses. There is not one word you've ever uttered that's not written in His book. There's not one thought you've ever 
laced through your mind that he's not aware of. There's not one action that you've done that he is not watching. So why would we come before the Lord with pretense? We cannot make ourselves appear better in our praying. I cannot hide what is really in my heart from God. The truth is, He's our loving Father, and it drives me to voluntary truthfulness. Friends, to pray to our Father in heaven is to finally and firmly learn that He wants us to be utterly real. Can I ask you this? You alone with God know the answer. How real are you? I have no idea. I only see what you present, and with some wisdom, some things you don't present to me. But I don't see with crystal clarity. Either does your spouse, either do your children. How real are you in prayers of all places on your knees ought to be utter truthfulness and reality. Because God already sees it. And he's proclaimed that he loves you with the love of a father. Friends, it's why the Psalms are so comforting. You don't need to put on a charade. You don't need to pretend all things are fine when your souls are in agonies of doubt and confusion. Real prayers from real struggling people of God, that's what God delights in. That is an upright, contrite heart. Let me ask you, friends, what are the three most pressing? Now, everybody answer this in your mind. You can write it down in your outline. What are the three most pressing prayers in your heart right now? What is it that you are praying for most right now? The three top things in your prayer time with God. What are they? Does your community of faith, your church, Do they know what it is you're praying for? Because if they don't, you don't know our. Are you humbly coming to your father knowing that he cares for you perfectly? If you aren't, you don't know father. Do you trust that he has the power to bring about the answers and to give you peace by leaving it in his hands? If you can't, you don't understand yet heaven. This is why Jesus said, our Father in heaven, it is the greatest way to pray. But it's not the only two. I'm only giving you two. There's one more. First, we pray and turn our eyes upward. Then we pray and our eyes are turned inward. Third, praying to our Father in heaven turns our eyes forward. You know, in 1952, true story. Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shores of mainland California. She'd been already the first woman to swim both ways across the English Channel. But the weather was foggy and it was chilly. She could hardly even see the boats that were accompanying her. Still, she swam on and on and on for 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother, who was in a boat right next to her, kept telling her she was close, she could make it. But finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming, and they pulled her out, put her in the boat. 
And it wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a half mile away. And at a news conference the next day, she said this, and friends, I think it captures what Jesus is trying to tell us and our Father in heaven. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Friends, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, is meant to help us to live in the kingdom of God, to be able to see the distant shores that are approaching. Jesus tells us to pray to our Father in heaven, very deliberate, very purposefully chosen words, meant to transform, meant to change our lives. Our Father in heaven moves our eyes forward to our eternal home, heaven. It's the gift of eternal rest that the Father gives to all of His children. It is everlasting, perfect fellowship with God. To pray to our Father in heaven is to move our eyes to an eternal perspective that is so often clouded from this world. Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. There's that fog. But the things that are unseen are are, are eternal. Friends, hardships, difficulties in this life are clearing up our vision to be able to see what this world cannot show us. But a prayer life that has the power to transform our earthly perspective to eternal ones, how how many people do you know that you could actually say has an eternal perspective? Few in my life. Seldom do I see people with strong eternal mindsets. Why is that? You want me to give you one reason? According to Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book called Heaven, Revelation 13.6 explains part of our problem. It says That verse says, It, which is a satanic beast, opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name, listen, and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. The devil hates heaven. He's been expelled from heaven. He's barred from fellowship with God. He hates it. He loathes it. And he hates those who are destined for it. He wants to blind us from thinking about heaven. His craftiness is evident in the number of Christians who actually really believe that they're going to go to heaven and sit around playing harps for all eternity. Who would want to go to that? But let me ask you, when's the last time that you shared Christ, that you gave the good news of the gospel to somebody who did not believe and told them about the glory that awaits the believer? Almost always, it's about the hell that you need to avoid. Friends, we're not balanced in our understanding. Heaven is not the shore that's a half mile away that is motivating us on. They ought to be balanced in our presentation of the gospel. The devil wants Christians becoming, uh, he doesn't want Christians becoming empowered by a glimpse of our eternal life. That's what the phrase, our Father in heaven does to our eyes. It lifts them forward. C.S. Lewis said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, he says, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you're not going to get either. A.W. Tozer, he puts it a little differently. He says the church is constantly being tempted to accept this world as her home. We do well to think of the long tomorrow. Friends, our citizenship is in heaven if you are in Christ. And Jesus wants our eyes to settle on what he is preparing for us. Even right now, he says in John chapter 14, In my Father's house are many ruins. If that were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Friends, as we pray to our Father in heaven, our eyes should constantly be refocusing on heaven. Now, let me tell you why I'm saying that. I'm going to start closing with this biblical principle shared through a very real story with Paul Mulvey and I up at Jacobsburg Park. He's given me permission to tell you about this. Paul's a good friend. Is he here, by the way? Because I plan on ad-libbing a little. <laughs> Actually, this is all true. He and I were riding our mountain bikes on the trails at Jacobsburg Park. We came to a point in that park where the path crosses a 25-foot stream. And the path enters the stream and exit right across, exits right across from it. And right in the middle, as if God placed it there for my humor and Paul's humbling, is a rock. Big rock. Now, Paul's an avid biker. One time, he tried to get people to ride with him by coming up here on the platform in his bike shorts. It was a horrible memory. All right, that was a little bit out of living. He was the first to try and pedal his way through the 12 inches of water, but he got halfway across that creek and ran right into that rock and fell down. We have clipless pedals. You can't get your feet out. He made good progress until that front tire ran into the rock. Now, of course, I'm observing. I'm watching, so I'm trying to learn. So when it's my turn, I angled way away from the rock and kept my eyes on the path to get out of there, and I made it. Now, Paul undaunted, gets back and slogs his way over to the creek and tries it again, pedaling like mad. He looked like he was going to make it, but he hits the rock again and falls over. He tried a third time. Meanwhile, I'm seated down and settling in for a show. The fourth effort, no success. I'm telling you, Paul Mulvey is the Abe Lincoln of the biking world. After a fifth and final unsuccessful attempt, he finally yielded and sloshed his way to the other side, and we, we rode on. Now listen, there's a safety rule of thumb. There's a principle. If you ever take your motorcycle safety course, you're going to learn this, that what your eyes focus on, your body will follow. Friends, did you know that's taught in Scripture? Let your eyes look forward, Proverbs says. Look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Job mentions this principle. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, our eyes lead our hearts. Hebrews knows this. The author said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus who endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What your eyes focus on, your body will follow. Friends, what would happen 
If we became a people that really began to focus on heaven, lifted our eyes from the fog of this world that began to really study, really yearn for, really live for eternity. Can I tell you boldly, this prayer and the principles in it are the way to do that. That's why Jesus is saying, our Father in heaven, there is more than this life. I got to tell you, I am alarmed at the number of popular, nationally recognized names. If I mentioned them to you, you would recognize some of them who believe one of two things. When you die here, your soul is permanently extinguished. Or when you die here, hell is temporary. God will save everybody. He wants all people with him. Those are the two great lies going through theology all around this world. Friends, Fix your eyes on an eternal perspective. We are given one life to live, and after that, there's judgment. And let us live with power. Praying to our Father in heaven moves our eyes upward to his greatness, uh, inward to the reality of our smallness, and forward to the joy-filled eternity that lies before us. To become a people of prayer, then, listen, I'm almost done, is to become a people who know that their God is great that they're undeserving of his love and who live empowered by the reality that this home is temporary, their eternal home and life of joy is coming. This is life-adjusting, heart-transforming, perspective-altering prayer. This is the power of optical zoom, of seeing just how magnificent our Heavenly Father really is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Father, for this prayer, thank you for giving your son the words to say. Lord, he said in his gospels that he speaks the words that you have given to him. So thank you for leaving us, Lord, with a template to learn how to pray, to extract the principles that can be transforming our lives and to be able to help us to live in this kingdom of God with power and joy and peace. Lord, turn our eyes upward. Let us see your greatness. Lord, let us see you above all things. Certainly let us see you as we turn our eyes inward, as above us. Lord, we are finite. We are dependent. We are the creatures. You are the creator. Lord, I pray that you would help us to kill pride in our lives. Lord, let this prayer be powerful enough, Lord, to be able to extinguish the arrogance that courses through all of us. It's the root of all sin. And let us choose to walk humbly with you. Lord, give us... Lord, the eyes and the vision that can see that shoreline that's a half a mile away, Lord, even through the fog, clear the fog. Let us see our eternal home. Lord, let us study heaven. Let us be aware of it. Let us understand it's way more than just flying around, sitting down, talking. There is going to be joy after joy of discovery. Lord, may this motivate us to live with power in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.